You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Hello, thank you all for coming out. And um, you are all like sitting very far away. Maybe you, you might want to move closer. <laughs> yeah, just move uh, a bit closer to us. <laughs> Um, my name is Adia Bonstra. I'm the curator of Asia Topa Public Programs. Uh, thank you all for coming out. And uh, I first would like to acknowledge the uh, Yalukut Wulam as the traditional custodians of the land on which we meet. And the Yalukut Wulam are part of the Boon Wurrung, one of the five major language groups of the Greater Kulin Nation. So we pay our respects to their land, their ancestors, and their elders, past, present, and to the future. Um, I want to thank you, Ben and Michelle and Diana, for coming out today. Um, this is the first uh, program that we have at M Pavilion for the Asia Topa Takeover. Um, so I would also very much uh, like to thank Melbourne Theatre Company and M Pavilion for this wonderful partnership of um, of today's program and the month ahead. Um, uh, maybe a little bit about Asia Topa. So Asia Topa is Asia Pacific Triennial of Performing Arts. And we settle into the M Pavilion for the next month um, from Thursday the 20th of February. So today onwards to Sunday the 15th of March. And each day you can meet uh, a lot of talented and multidisciplinary guests from Asia Topa, um, uh, of, yeah, Asia Topa's artists uh, during the lunchtime uh, from 12.30 to 1.30 p.m. And uh, as you know, all of our events are free. So please join for coming talks as well. Um, let me then just first briefly introduce uh, Benjamin Law, celebrated TV writer. Um, he's known for his hysterically funny and moving stage premiere, and he employs his effortless self-deprecating wits to spark joy in the clutter and find truth in those chaotic moments that bring families closer together in his new uh, play, Torch, uh, Torch the Place. Uh, so congrats, Ben, on, on the show, and um, very glad that you're here with Michelle and Diana too. And the floor is yours. Thank you so much, Sadia. Um, and thank you all for coming out here on, on a school day. Um, if you are supposed to be at school, we are extra grateful that you, that you are here. <laughs> hey, well, we're glad that you're celebrating that here with us. Um, so my name is uh, Benjamin Law. I'm the, I'm the playwright of the play going on at the um, Melbourne Theatre Company at the moment called Torch the Place. Um, and on behalf of the cast and the crew and everyone at MTC, um, just like to say that it's a great honour that you're here with us and of course here on Aboriginal land. Um, the, the First Nations Australians, like those of the Kulin Nation, which is the land where we're gathered at the moment, have been telling stories and sharing stories for over 65,000 years, the oldest continuing human civilization on the planet. And we are very grateful that we can also share stories here on Aboriginal land. Um, also some of the history of this continent as well, not 65,000 years old, but um, Asian Australian stories have been told here for well over 200 years as well. Um, the first taste of this continent's globalization history was actually through Asia. So well before wide arrival, there was a roaring global trade of sea cucumber uh, in Yonggu territory up in Arnhem Land between Makassans uh, in Indonesia and Yonggu people. That was, uh, roared, that was a roaring trade that was fueled by Chinese people. And so we've got, we're a part of a much shorter but still quite old story 
storytelling tradition here as well. Um, Torture Place is part of Asia Topa. Um, we've got two of the great five cast members here. Um, the three others couldn't make it. These are just our two favourite, I guess. Um, and they are probably both familiar faces to a lot of you um, from the play, if you've seen it, but also from their other work. I won't read out their entire bios. I'm going to do some select highlights. And if I don't get the right highlights, I mean, you can chastise me on social media or, or in person or physically um, with violence. But um, so to my left, our first guest um, is just one of those incredible um, actors that you will have seen a lot on stage, but especially as part of and championing new Australian work. Um, you've seen her in um, An Ideal Husband, Banging Denmark, How to Rule the World, Top Girls, Power Plays, and she's done a lot of television as well. So Get Kraken, Top of the Lake, China Girl, Utopia, Doctor, Doctor, and obviously Play School, um, and has been nominated and won a slew of awards um, was a recipient of the Mike Walsh Fellowship, won an Equity Award for her work in Utopia. Please welcome Michelle Lim Davidson, everyone, in the house. Um, and to my right, our second guest has a long history with film, TV and theatre work, both here and abroad. Um, theatre work in Australia includes Little Emperors, um, and that won her a nomination for um, the Green Room Awards in 2018. And if you've been to the cinemas uh, lately in the past two years, if you saw The Farewell, uh, which is made and directed by Lulu Wong and stars Aquafina, you might recognise her as the mother of Aquafina from The Farewell, which was robbed at the Oscars. Robbed, should have been nominated. Uh, it's okay, Parasite won, that's okay, I guess. She was also a nominee for the Golden Rooster Award for Best Supporting Actress in China and has um, been nominated for a slew of awards both here, here and abroad. Please welcome Diana Lin, everyone. Thank you. Yeah. Okay, so we've, we've got each other until 1.30 and I want a lot of the conversation to be generated from you. So if you've got questions, uh, we'll have plenty of time at the end. You can ask anything. Um, you know, most questions aren't inappropriate. Just, ask, just don't ask for full sexual and medical history and we should be okay. Okay, so, but I want to start with each of you. Maybe I'll start with Diana first. Simple question. I want to go back into your professional history. You look so worried. <laughs> you know, just you just said I'm very shy. So I'm not such a good uh, speaker. Oh my god, she Unless you want me to speak Can you in tell Chinese? that she's a professional I don't speak actor? Chinese. You can tell well, she's then, a professional actor because she's lying. She's not shy. Are you speak Chinese Mandarin? Yeah. I did Taiwan later. Okay, let's have a private chat. Uh, okay. So this is going to be a bilingual conversation throughout the entire day. Um, Diana, simple question. Why acting for you and when did you start? Oh, it's not too private. <laughs> okay, I started really young, but um, I was born in China. I sort of remember, sometimes I forgot. So actually when I was little, I just... Asking myself, what do I really enjoy to do when I grow up? What profession I want to be? I said, mm, I want to be actress. Okay, if I can't be actress, what the second one? None. <laughs> it was all that, or nothing. Yeah, I was really little. That's all I want can somehow. I, can I ask you, what was your first memory of seeing something on stage or on screen where you're like, 
that that right there is what I want to do well, when I grow up. Well, when I was little, you know what? I would want to watch a lot of theatre. You know this grandma in The Farewell? Yeah. And she was, we are from same city. Actually, I introduced her to Lulu. So I was little. She was one of the lead actresses in this city already. So I always remember sometime in, I'm from Northeast China, very cold. Like uh, we finish watching the show, come back home. There's no more public transport. We had the waiting, you know, like at 30 degrees below zero, the weather. So that's what I've been seeing. So that's really strong memories. She she's kind of considered. Forgive me. What was her name again? She plays Nai Nai in the farewell. Yes, yes. Yeah. and she's kind of considered acting stage royalty in China, isn't she? Well, uh, I don't know because I left China so long now. She could be anyone in YouTube. <laughs> yeah, then, but now she's doing more TVs. But the old days there wasn't TV available, so we watch really theatre, and then there was in China, the revolution, only we only have half dozen of a movie watch. Mm. So, and that's really just something remarkable in my mind, and that's all I want to do, and which is when I was 14, I was with my age category, I was luckily auditioned, uh, successfully auditioned into China um, Beijing Opera Company. How old were you then? 14. Wow. So, so, your career starts as a teenager yeah, and hasn't probably. stopped since. Yeah, <laughs> sort of. Yeah. yeah. So that's it. So I went to the boarding, sort of a boarding college in this, because in Chinese opera, you need to start very young because you have a lot of training of uh, physical, singing, dancing, you know, like mm. almost like Chinese Kung Fu type of training every day, two hours in the morning, six o'clock. So... And then we was, I was there for five years. I really regret not writing Torch the Place as a Chinese opera now. You should. <laughs> <laughs> Me self. If anyone wants to take up that adaptation, you know that the star of the play is ready to rumble. Um, Michelle, I'm going to ask you the same question. So obviously different generation, different cultural environment. Why acting for you? And what were your first memories of being inspired to want to work in this field? Uh, well, I'm the opposite of Diana. I had no intention of becoming an actor. Um, sometimes I, I still forget, which is a, a little bit of a problem, considering I've been an actor for 10 years now. Um, there are so many people who want to be actors listening to this right now who hate you. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I grew up in Newcastle and I was really shy. Um, I started dance lessons when I was like five and so I was kind of dancing competitively and, and so I was on stage a lot um, but my parents, their favourite joke is Michelle didn't see the sunlight for the first 12 years of her life because I was just so introverted um, and so they enrolled me in drama lessons to bring me out of my shell, and the rest is history. That <laughs> they could have gone terribly wrong or fantastically right. It didn't go well for the first few years. Oh. Like, I didn't really, like, I was always on the, like, oh, no, I'm going to have to get up and do this thing. But I was, like, I guess I was good at it, but I was so, like, it was just such an issue for me wow. to have to get up in front of everyone and, and um, act. I like mum. Yeah. Mm. Very shy. Very shy. <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> Diana is not shy. <laughs> um, so, yeah, then, and then I really wanted to do um, musical theatre because I thought that combined all the skills that I had been working on throughout my childhood. Yeah, triple threat now. 
Yes. Um, and then I heard of a place called Whopper um, and I thought, oh, well, I'm going to study musical theatre there. No idea what it really was. I just, I just thought, oh, I can go to university for performing arts. Um, and so I got on the, the dial-up internet um, <laughs> got everyone off the landline phone and, and would start a- applying and I had absolutely no idea um, what was happening. And, like, I was part of all these kind of, like, programs. I'd stumbled my way into these kind of, like, singing programs in Sydney or just a whole bunch of different, like, I guess, artistic development programs for high school-age students, but I had no idea. Um, and neither did my parents. They just would drive me to Sydney and be like, okay off you go and I'd be singing at the entertainment centre when it was still around and they'd be like, okay, great, have a good time um, or dancing or whatever. Um, and so, yeah, then I auditioned for WAPA and I thought, oh, I'm just going to audition for the acting course and for musical theatre. Um, and I just... Look, I, I, I don't know. I just... I, I got through the rounds um, and I didn't get in the first year I auditioned because I had absolutely no idea. Like, no one had ever directed me. I'd never done a play. I was just, like, having a great old time, but, I, you know, I was too young to go. Mm-hmm. Um, and I eventually, after... I auditioned three times for WAPA, um, and this is where <laughs> my parents, I think, are still sad about this. I auditioned for acting and for musical theatre, and I was fortunate to do the callbacks for both rounds. And then acting called me and said, you've been accepted into acting. And I was just thrilled. And I just had this real kind of gut feeling that that was the course for me. It was just a, I enjoyed working on the monologues. I had enjoyed reading the plays. And even though I didn't know anything about acting, I just felt like that was the, the right thing for me. And so they were like, you need to decide by Friday. You need to, musical theatre are not going to tell you until Friday whether you've gotten oh. in. So you're in a weird position um, think about what you would like to do. This is your sliding doors moment. This is my sliding doors moment. And then I just faxed through my thank you <laughs> to Whopper Acting. I was like, done. And my parents were like, what? I, and I haven't danced or sung since then. Um, <laughs> I just kind of gave it all up. It was just like, it felt like finally I could kind of had some kind of ownership over the, the art that I was going to pursue. And then I did my very first play at WAPA. Um, I played uh, Donald Bain, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know in a that, Scottish play. <laughs> that, that strikes me as simultaneously a story of triumph, but mm-hmm. one that ends with the line, and I never sung or danced <laughs> again, you know. <laughs> it actually makes me really anxious, the thought of it. Like, I just don't do, it's not... Yeah. yeah, it's not something I enjoy doing, unless it's singing reflection in your play, of yes. course, on stage every yes. night. There is, um, there is a little bit of singing in my play. So this is um, strikes me as interesting that you both have some similarities in your story in that you were both working and studying relatively young and then from there you come into the workforce. I mean, it's difficult for any actor to get roles generally speaking, because, uh, you know, having worked from the other side, having, um, you know, made TV shows, it's such a weird conspiracy of elements in terms of how someone gets cast. You could be the best actor, um, but you might not look the the right part or there's a strange dynamic between you and another actor. So there are all these weird things that go into casting. How have you found that process um, of finding work 
as an Asian and an Asian Australian actor? Start with you, Diana. I don't know. <laughs> I think you have to be lucky. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes, I mean, the, these days got more. All days wasn't a great amount of a job. Um, but the, if there's opportunity, I think as you just have to work hard for it and give you any opportunity to shine and people will remember you and you will get more job come along. Mm. That's what you, I think. You've worked between China and Australia. What, what's it like uh, going for roles between each of the countries? Because I imagine in China, obviously, you're going uh, against other Chinese actors. In Australia, maybe, is there a smaller pool of Chinese actors of your generation and background? Does that make it easier? Does that make it harder? Uh, China does a lot of work. But again, because I was graduated with the school, which is one of the best drama schools. And in our generation, that time, like each school you got, um, you know, each class you got a 10,000 people to audition, and you got eight girls lucky to got in. So, like, one way, finish school or whatever, people already know you, and the, the script already offered to you. So, that's just a lot of work. And we, I think, in the way, we were lucky, and we were, uh, oh, we got great training, and the, the teacher, the old days, the school, everything we did, learned a lot of skills in the way, so... I think we deserve the work. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Michelle? Like, you go to Whopper, and that obviously gives you all of the trainings that you the training that you need to to work as an actor, all the craft. Does any university degree prepare you for the reality of being a working actor? Like, was there anything that you wish you were told coming out of your degree that you know now? Um. I think drama school's changed a lot since I went 10 years ago. When I finished drama school, um, at Whopper you do like a showcase performance in Perth, Melbourne and Sydney. And um, I performed a piece that I had, you know, I wrote myself. Um, and I, because I couldn't find a scene that was suitable for someone like me. Um, and... Can, can, I, can I just yeah. ask you a little bit about that? So, of the selections, what they were all like specifically, was it because they were specifically Caucasian or what was it about the scenes that you weren't right for you that you had to have one of your own? Well, I just knew that even though I grew up in Newcastle in a very working class family, um, I wasn't, that necessarily wasn't going to translate if I did a scene like that for my showcase because it wasn't really representing... It was representing half of me as an individual, but I knew it wasn't going to represent how the industry would see me at that mm. time. Um, and so I found it really difficult. And also any role that I stumbled across uh, at that time, this was back in like 2010, it was like this tiny little role that they didn't really say much, you know, they just delivered some exposition and, and left. So, yeah, I just couldn't find anything right for me. So... I was like, well, I'll have to think of something. Um, but the interesting thing is, I was talking about this the other night, when I graduated, I came out into the showcase foyer and you have to meet agents and people from the industry. Um, and this would hopefully never happen now. But people who, colleagues of mine, people I know are still working in this industry uh, were saying things to me like, I just want to let you know, you're actually quite good, but you're never going to work in this country. 
congratulations on graduating. Um, that's wow. great. And I was like, there, there was a certain level of naivety that I had, which was really helpful to me. I just assumed it's not going to be a problem the way I look. Um, I'm just, it's not going to be a problem for me. I'm, that's not something I'm going to spend any time or energy thinking about because I've got other things to worry about. Um, and people would say things like, I had this, um, should I quickly tell this ridiculous story? Yeah. So I met with this agent, potential agent, and they were like, okay, Michelle, so you're only here because uh, we've lost our Asian. Um, and we've, as you notice, um, we've got some, we consider our books to be quite attractive and you're, you've just, you've passed. And I was like, oh, okay. Um, and they were like, so... Oh, I don't know how to tell you this, but you'll never work on television. You're definitely never going to work in main stage theatre. Um, film, probably not. They were like, it's very unfortunate, but um, every two years there's this kung fu television series that shoots in New Zealand. Um, and you've just missed the auditions, but if you work really hard, you might get into that in two years' time. And I was like, oh, oh, okay. And she was like, so do you have a belt? And I was like, a belt? And I, I was just hadn't so naive. And I was like, sorry? And she was like, like, okay, well, first thing, you're going to have to get a belt. Taekwondo, karate, I don't care what it is, a belt. Um, and they were like, well, how's your generic Asian accent? And I was like, oh, I guess I could come up with one. They were like, yep, that'll do. Um, okay, so you need to maintain the way you look now and if you, know, if you do everything we say in two years, you might be in the kung fu thing that films in... Uh, New Zealand. And I remember just being like, oh. Um, and they were like, so anything you want to tell us? And I was like, oh, I just got offered like a main stage theatre company job and a job on network television and blah, blah, blah. So I guess, you know, I guess this is not going to work out. <laughs> um, but, you know, th that's the kind of things people were saying to me. Um, Are people saying those kinds of things now? No, they wouldn't dare say that to me. Um, <laughs> not, not to you, not but to like... Not to me, but, but like, but I, to... it does worry me that I was just... I think it's part of my personality that I was able to be like, this is not going to be a problem to me. Mm. Um, and I'm not investing my time and energy into it. And I'm going to do everything I can to promote change and make sure this doesn't happen to other people. Um, that's kind of where I focused my... my do you know what I mean? Like my energy. Yeah, your focus. Word. I mean, you've um, only, you know, energy is a finite resource. You have to be very selective about where you put it, right? This is, it is true. But I feel like, um, you know, I'm in a position where I can help promote change and I can make things better. Um, and it's certainly, I don't want younger actors like me. And like, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I've had some awful things said to me or, you know, terribly racist things said to me um, and then have to get up and perform or, or something like that or, you know, people being like, just uh, just 18 months ago I was doing a play and um, I guess it's traditionally a, a white person's play and this lady came up to me in the foyer and just said, oh, I just want to let you know, you were very good but um, you know there were no Asians back in that day? And I was like, oh... Oh, I was like, oh, what do you mean? She's like, you weren't around. But it's so good that, you, you know, this theatre company's taking a risk and putting you up there. 
And I was like, well, maybe I was the best actor for the role. Yeah. Like, you just got to, you've really got to, I don't know, bolster yourself up. Yeah, like give yeah. yourself constant. Well, remind yourself um, why you're doing it and why you're there as well. That's, mm. uh, but that's, that's a really tough, brutal and demoralising kind of set of feedback to get that I think would be easy to really derail most I, people. Like, I suspect a lot of kind of people that don't look like me have never been to a call of 30 Asian girls f that range from 21 to 30 to do a prostitute workshop, you know? Like, I just don't think wow. that's happened to some of my other friends that work in the industry. And for us, we were like, here we are again. Nice to see you. <laughs> I, Let's go. <laughs> I mean, it makes me curious, Diana, like hearing all that, what have your experiences, for better or for worse, been like within the Australian context? Have you had similar comments or not? Mm, not really. <laughs> because I don't understand much, maybe. <laughs> no, okay. The, the thing is that things are changing. I left this industry. I came, I was quite lucky. I was early 90s. I was in, living in Sydney. That time, I don't know if you, any of you know Tony Ayres. Yeah, okay. He wrote, he was just graduated from school. He wrote a story about his mom. And I was lucky he played the two part of a TV series. And we got the best TV series um, for a, that time called AFI. And I got best, best actress nomination. Mm. It was quite easy. And one day I filmed him up there. And the six months later, and my agent called, okay, there's a, TV series, uh, TV commercial, Channel 7. Seven of, pe of you just going there, hey, and this will be $1,000 and they're going to run for one year. Then I thought, shit, who do you think I am? Mm. <laughs> so just really that time was nothing, not much there for Asian, for Aboriginal people, for colored people, for any different background. But now these days are different. The people like I just worked in America, and all the agents like dying for have anyone that's we call diversity actors. And we later, lately feel film and shows in America in the world being successful. And there's a lot of work around for people with different backgrounds. I don't know how many of you are the parents as a migrant to Australia. Any of you are? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one only. <laughs> I mean, many new migrants, the kids are growing up and so many talented people like him. And they are, there's some great project there and they are dying to get some great, you know, diversity actors, which is really um, quite promising. So that's why I come back 20 years, had a big break from acting and I'm back and since then I haven't stopped. Mm. And it just, you got such great project coming Oscar-winning, you know, this is Korean film. And our farewell, we got quite American. We got maybe how many dozen? I even don't feel anything important anymore. Just so many awards there. Yeah, and yeah. and <laughs> I think doesn't matter what story, Chinese, Indian, or European, as long as human story you told the right, told the well, People want to know. And Australia is a multicultural country. So as, as American, I think we need, we deserve a lot of a more different story to be told. So I'm looking forward to see more great 
project like this touched the place. Like the first when I read the script, I was crying, I was heartbroken, and I thought I want to do it. And my agent said, Are you sure so long? And the theater is not a great amount of money. I said, I have to do it. No. So just it's so, I mean, with all tickets sold out, and yesterday I got some people talked to me, said, We've seen twice. I booked the last show for third time. Really oh. loved the show. And I don't know who that person is. I'm just guessing the Asian. That was or my not? mother. No. <laughs> <laughs> so let's all working hard to, to, you know, to forward to make our country, uh, make our art, make our, you know, our, uh, uh, what, what else? Mm, our stories. Yeah, our great. So let's make our great Australian. I mean, obviously, um, with Torch the Place, we are all so grateful that you chose our project to work on. Do you, with you know, given the conversations that we've just had, do you have a set of criteria about which roles you will and won't take here in Australia? Like, what what's the checklist for you when you're considering things, Michelle? Oh, well, I've got different checklists for different projects. Um, you know, ultimately acting is my job and I need to pay my rent and buy groceries. Um, but, I mean, I think it's probably... A, I'm at a stage in my career where I get to choose a little more uh, about the, the things I would like to work on. Um, I won't do things that I feel like I'm being exploited in any way or, um, the, or anything that could potentially make me really uncomfortable anymore. I, I won't do that kind of work. Um, but, like, in theatre, I really love doing new work. Um, I love I've, doing classics as well, yeah. but I, I love doing new work. And I've noticed that about you because I see, you know, you know like with, um, say, Nakia Louie's play, a lot of Australian playwrights and younger Australian playwrights, like, you're always part of the core cast in so many of those plays. And as, um, as I have learned, you know, new Australian theatre is one hard to get off the ground and two faces its own sets of challenges because often the actors and the playwright and the director and, and everyone around us, we're, we're actually still workshopping some key elements of the story together. It's not like you're handed a text and now let's go make it into a play. There's more work involved in that. And then, of course, with new Australian work, we might still be adjusting stuff right up until previews, which, of course, is a really big challenge for an actor. So, with all that in mind, why, why new Australian work? Um, you know, do, do, the, do the cons, do the pros outweigh the cons? Yes, and I tell myself that during the third preview of a <laughs> production week every time, like, no, this is my passion. Um, <laughs> no, I just, for me, it's the most exciting thing. You get to help bring like a, a playwright story alive and um, for me rehearsals are always my favourite part of the process. I, I kind of act to rehearse and some people kind of act to perform um, and I, I love performing the play every night too but th that's kind of artistically the most satisfying to me. Um, I also think it's an opportunity where you can bring a whole lot of new skills or like... Um, writing skills or directing skills, all of those things, you can bring all of that energy to the room and um, you have some idea of what it takes to get a production up for a main stage so you can keep that momentum going forward. Um, and I just, I always find with new work, every single person like contributes, like um, our ASMs sourced thousands of props for this show because it's about hoarding and... Um, 
they just got anything they thought were possible. And half of that stuff's in the show. And it's just from stuff that they contributed that an actor was like, hang on, where's that Mickey Mouse hat? I've seen it, find it. And now it's a great part of the show. Um, so that's the kind of thing new work can do. Um, and everyone feels great ownership of the work and is just so excited. You go through this kind of like pregnancy <laughs> with a new work and then you're just so excited to get it up. And I remember on opening night, our director, Dean Bryant, said, you know, just do this show for Ben. Just, it's for Ben. This is like, think about how great Ben is, how generous he's been. This is his first play. You know, forget everything else, stay connected and do this show for Ben. And at the end of it, we were like, when we looked to, you know, <laughs> give Ben a round of applause, everyone was like, Dad, we've done it for Ben. It's so like that's you know you don't necessarily get that I don't feel that for Shakespeare um, I'm not like yes William you know but like feel so personally invested in the work and and um, yeah that's kind of the work that I'm most interested in doing and I've been so moved and grateful for how all in the whole cast and especially the two of you have been at feeding in ideas you know um, the playwrights always get to claim authorship but like so much of the character's development and the texture of the play is because the actors have been actively present and feeding in. Diana, what about you? What, what, are the, what are the yes and no's that you think about when deciding on which roles to take? Well, uh, one of the roles I decided not to, which I've been rejected. At first, uh, um, it's a film. I don't know, I forgot the name. Oh, that's Australian a film, something to do with uh, gold mining, and then they passed to my agent and said, "Okay," and that was uh, um, they want your audition, but only two lines. I said, "Okay, let's be Chinese, very diplomatic." Sorry, I'm so busy, I don't have the time. <laughs> <laughs> One two weeks later, um, oh, they really want you. They made the offer. Then I read the script. Um, didn't have a serious read. Basically, like my understanding, there will be, we have to have, we're Australian, we have to have all the color people in it. So let's add some Chinese and the Chinese woman as a gold miner, there's some kind of leadership. And so I just didn't go for it. So any story, like I even do some short film, student film. The reason I do it because they are telling the real story they're telling our life, and even there's not much more, I think I need to support them. So anyone come up who want to tell the real story of my life, something I can relate, um, then I will do it. Mm. So that's what it is. Not just another Asian woman, which I did. I haven't been playing prostitute, but I've been playing... You could play the madam, though. I did. Yeah. I did. I played the madam. <laughs> we'll see each other on our set one day. <laughs> but I, I, at that time, I did. It's not purely for that, because I was opposite playing with uh, a brain brown. So, mm. but, uh, and then they said, oh, you're great. I said, please don't offer me any more role like that. <laughs> but Ben, like, we've been talking a lot, but like, how do you feel about your your play and how, you know, you're talking about people contributing to your work and stuff. How did you go as a first-time playwright? Um, the it, process. Really it's funny fun. because um, this is the site where we had our first public play reading, um, which is slightly triggering. Uh, because because as, as a, I, I came just from um, several TV projects into playwriting and 
with television, you're just in, in this enclosed room with your producers and the showrunner and you're just like, okay, 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 let's refine, let's refine, let's refine. And then, of course, as you two have probably experienced as actors, you know, the actors just get the script and then it's like the sacred text and then it's shot and you're all the last people to see your work um, and then it's done. And, and, and as the writer, you're kind of like you hand it over and you're never really engaged with again because the director takes it over. So it's much more of a factory line and with playwriting it's it's so dynamic and we're all engaged in the first moment and the play is being read when it's not even like fetal it's not even embryonic it's a zygote and uh it's extremely exposing and you're like oh it's not ready don't look at it don't look at it don't look at me it's disgusting but um but it's also incredibly handy um you know because i i write across so many fields and I feel like that process, how you have to expose yourself so early on and also be receptive to, you know, like one of the things I've really loved is actors have this superpower that they don't get to engage with in screen much. Of which, course, yes. Well, definitely. you have to inhabit the role and if something jars for you in the writing, like with screen, I, I doubt you have that many opportunities to really assert, like actually we should change that. But at least with like this process, it's like, oh, there's something, there's a clang there. Or I think like their interaction would be different because of X, Y, Z, because you've, you've had to possess his character. It's been so great. It's really been instructive. Um, but I want to finish off with a two, two quick questions before we throw it over to the um, crowd. One, Michelle, you posted something really lovely on Instagram recently and you pointed out that this play is actually the first time that you've played with and acted with 100% Asian Australian cast. How, how, behind the scenes, how has that been different to other works that you've, that you've been involved in? Well, I just feel like I'm with my team. I'm with my people and um, I don't stand out in any particular way. I'm not there to hold down the POC position. Um, I You're don't not have the Asian. I'm the not books. the Asian. I'm not the diversity consultant. I am just another actor in the room trying to do the best work I can and contribute the most, um, you know, the most, uh, the best of my ideas kind of thing. Um, and you, you feel a sense of, it, it, it sounds, <laughs> sounds lame, but you do feel a sense of equality. Mm. Um and you, there's no kind of, oh, I don't know if I can say this because it will s maybe people are going to take it the wrong way. Everyone's just so open. Um, we talk a lot about racism. No, said, I did. I said, look, no, I'm Chinese. We are very racist. <laughs> no, <laughs> mummy, I'm not white. It, it's <laughs> Everyone racist. It's don't get too serious. Um, I, I'm Chinese. I have a lot to say that, but you're not a lot. Of. <laughs> okay. Just joking. To <laughs> You can see how she inhabits her role for anyone who's seen the, seen the play. Um, okay, two more questions. Uh, one, what Australian work or what other Australian playwrights, what have you seen on stage lately that's really exciting you about Australian theatre right now? And you don't have to just say MTC stuff, but I'm sure they'd appreciate it if you did. And <laughs> touch the play. Besides, besides our play, besides our play. Michelle, probably she saw more. Yeah. 
Oh, um, I mean, I've worked with her and she's a dear friend of mine, but of course, Nakia Louie springs mm. to mind. I, I'm always so excited to hear what she's working on next um, and her ideas. And she's such a wonderful, generous person. Similar to Ben, they've got a very kind of open energy and they're just really great writers to work with. Um, and, yeah, I can't wait to see her next play. Yeah. 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 Um, okay, and finally, before we throw it to the audience, for anyone who has seen the play or is about to see the play... What, what about the play or what about the staging of the play, behind-the-scenes stuff, might surprise people um, about it? You know, um, any kind of trivia, gossip, factoids about the play <laughs> that the audience wouldn't know just by watching it? It's the most technical play. Like, we have two ASMs out the back who are just running the whole time. Um, so when sorry. We have a big... I don't want to have too many spoilers but there's a part where we move a lot of set those trucks are genuinely hundreds of kilos uh, that we move and they fit within like there's 30 centimeter clearances that kind of thing so backstage when we finish the show and bow and we try to get back to the dressing room you can't walk back <laughs> like it's so there's it's actually it's all real stuff yeah. like it's a potential fire hazard, just like it is in the just play. Just like it is in the play. Just like it is yeah. in the play. It wasn't until I saw the set being constructed and then on opening night, it was my first time properly backstage and I just felt like such a bastard because, you know, you just write the play and it's like, yeah, and then this will happen and then this will happen. And it's like, oh, my God, what have I done to these people? Like, so... There was a few times we were like, Ben, this would be a great montage on television. Yeah. But we're going to make it happen in the theatre. <laughs> because when Dean, the director, Dean Bryant, told me this is the most technically challenging play he's ever worked on, I'm like, dude, you've worked on, like, high-budget musicals and shit. You've worked on, like, you know, like big Oscar Wilde main stage plays with so many moving parts. And, I was, and then I saw it and I'm like, oh, yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Diana, any, any bits of gossip or trivia that an audience might be surprised about if they've seen the play? About my strong Chinese accent, English-speaking mother. <laughs> <laughs> That's something new. You don't see it in Australia um, stage, which is I was really uh, grateful for Ben and I talked to the director that you do have a guts, you can employ me because I hardly can speak English probably and you let me speak play the migrants in on the big stage and which is playing um, you know, 95, 98% fully in English mm. so that's uh, something really different, I don't think you have seen them in mm. any Australian Theatre yet. Diana mm. had to also learn Cantonese. It's your third language, isn't yeah. it, as well? So yeah. it's very impressive. Yeah. <laughs> great challenge. Another way in but which... But a great show, please come in. <laughs> <laughs> Another way in which I'm a bastard. Um, okay, I'd love to hear from you. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here again today. So any questions? We've got, we've got a, a, a mic there. And, and don't be shy because obviously we are not... And, there are no, there are no dumb questions. We're an open book. Yeah. Oh, you are shy. You are shy. Yeah, Joe. Um, Torch the Place is a play about an Australian uh, Chinese family, but what's been the reaction of other migrants or migrant families or people from migrant heritage about the play or they've, they've gotten from the play? That's a great question. So I went up to the foyer the other night and uh, three 
uh, older ladies who announced themselves as, we're three old lady Jews. Not, that was not, that's how they, the self-titled. Um, these three older Jewish ladies were like, we get it, fantastic show. This is a migrant story. We're migrants, we get it. And I was like, oh, it's so, it was just so nice. And they were like, people write stories about us all the time. It's your turn, it's your turn. And I was like, oh no, it's not like that. And they were like, no, we were so excited to see your story and we get it. Um, and they were like, six stars, best thing we've seen at Melbourne Theatre Company in ages because we get it. And I was like, that's really, that's really moving. And another person that I met who was like, I'm, my mother is Greek and um, I get it too, migrant story. Um, yeah, it, there's been a great diverse range of reactions, not just from Asian or yeah. Chinese people. And it's been so heartening. Like, it reminds me of when um, uh, a crew of us made this two-part documentary for the ABC about Chinese-Australian history called Waltzing the Dragon, and that screened um, last year. It's still on ABC iView if you want to catch up. And... Um, but, you know, we thought that we were so specifically about Chinese-Australian history and so many, you know, one of the biggest responses was from the broader migrant Australian community because they're like, oh my gosh, like, we have roots in this country. The documentary made us realise, like, those family reunions, we should be digging in harder about what's the broader political and social history. And, and with this play, you know, one of the things that I really wanted to um, show is that compulsive hoarding is a disorder and a mental illness that's really sensationalised. It's not like we have reality TV shows about anxiety and depression, but we seem to have them for hoarding for some reason. And, um, you know, one of the things that we've all wanted to do is humanise this condition that's been so discussed and so talked about, but so rarely humanised. Um, and one of the things that you discover in, in the literature around it is that it often comes from trauma, um, that as I say in the program notes, you know, th these aren't broken people. These are people with broken hearts. Um, and one of the demographics that's really susceptible to trauma are, are migrant and refugee families, obviously. So it's not that migrant and refugee families are more likely to be hoarders, but it's that they're more susceptible to trauma because of their family history. By definition, you've had to leave things behind. You've had to leave behind family. You've had to leave behind belongings. You've had to leave behind culture, community, the food that you love. That's a traumatic experience enough. And, um, and so therefore, it's a community that's more susceptible. So it's really, really gorgeous that these people feel seen in a way that doesn't expose them. Because I think those are two different things. Mm -hmm. Thank you. It's a great question. Thank you. Um, any other questions from the audience at all? Yes, right at the back. Oh, yes, there's a mic coming for you. Um, hi, so my question is more so about what you said about being, um, being more optimistic in the day and age. Uh, how, like, how did you keep being optimistic despite like, being told not very much? Like, was it you looked at idols or did you just genuinely believe? What's a trick in being optimistic is the question. There are days where I haven't been optimistic. There are days where I felt really just genuinely sad um, or someone has made a comment about something that's really hurt my feelings. I think people forget that even though you're an actor and you're on stage or screen, you're still a person. And no, part of my job isn't just to accept your emotional abuse. <laughs> 
online or, you know, or, or in print or whatever. Um, I think the thing that's kept me going is I've always just... It's kind of my own inbuilt resilience. It's probably just from, you know, some of my life experience as well is that nothing... I was so determined, like nothing was going to stop me. Um, and when I got there, wherever there was or is in, you know, different parts of my life, I just knew that I was not going to repeat what had happened in the past. I was not going to repeat actions that had happened to me. And so I felt like I, I felt like and I still feel like I can help move things forward. Um, and that's what keeps me going even on my down days, knowing that actually I have a voice and it's worth something and I will continue to use it. So, and I guess as well, I've got a good support team, uh, you know, a personal support team around me. But yeah, I understand. It's, yeah, it's a, it's a tricky balance. Can I build on what you said? Because, I mean, I've been thinking about this a lot about, um, you know, remedies to despair, you know, and um, that. In 2020, there's a lot to despair about. And when it comes to the arts in general, you know, this, this is a federal government that says that the arts aren't important. Like, they have literally dismantled arts as a priority and erased it from the national agenda, which I find so appalling given that, I mean, when we, when we, even if you just want to be cold-hearted and talk about economics, you look at the value and contribution, pure money, like if you just want to look at money, like how much money the arts makes and contributes to the economy is, is monumental. Um, and so, you know, like when it comes to despair, I think that sometimes the only remedy is to just keep working, which I know sounds like such a stoic migrant background thing to say, like the only remedy to despair is work. Um, <laughs> But and if, money. And money, <laughs> totally, totally. They go hand in hand. But, um, you know, also when you believe in the work as well and you're doing work with other people, so whatever work you're doing by default, and it, this just happens by default in the arts, you know, you have to work collaboratively. Like, that takes you all along. It becomes about something beyond you and, um, you know, with, with this work as well, you know... I'm sure there are days for the actors where it's really hard. You know, performing is just hard generally. And there are days as a writer where I'm like, oh, you know, like you just want to, you know, you just want to um, boil your head. Um, but, but the thing is, like, to get the responses that you do from the work, you know, you might have a patchy day or whatever. Something, something goes wrong. Um, and then you just get, like a comment in the foyer, someone weeping at you, someone sending you a DM, someone telling you, like, the story of their life and how, you know, this matters. And then you're like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, why, that's why we do it. So, um, yeah. But that, that only comes from doing the work, right? Thank you for your question. It's a good one. Yeah. Uh, any other questions? We've got a bit of time. Yeah, we've got one there. Hello. Oh, the mic's coming to you. Ben, thank you for writing. Are you allowed to tell us what you're working on next? Uh, I just came from a meeting that was top secret and I can't tell anyone about it. Truly, I had to sign some waivers. But um, so there's that, maybe. Um, there's That's a good one. That's a good one. <laughs> um, this is the first time I've worked with stage. Like, I've, I've loved theatre for such a long time um, and... 
you know, like before I was a friend of Michelle's, I was such a fan because I just love seeing her on stage and I love new Australian work and I was like, I want to be part of that. It was like some sort of sad musical number. I want to be a part of those people. It's like Ariel and the Little Mermaid. Um, and so I, I feel kind of like really invested in the form. Um, and there are two other projects that um, I've started just developing. That's still, they're both still Zygote stage. And I, they're very, very different projects to torch the place. Um, and I want to make them. So there's that... Asian story. Uh, one... Daya is trying to get cast one, herself. One... <laughs> no, no, my last theatre, that's it. No one more. on surface it's isn't, but it actually is in some other ways. I know that's been incredibly... I'm being very evasive. Um, because I can't talk about these things. Uh, then I'm, I'm working on... Um, I'm part... I'm one small part of a writing team that's working on a revisionist Western gold rush mystery thriller... And that, of course, will have a cast of um, Chinese and Aboriginal and white actors because of what the gold rush is. You know, it was such an incredibly... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, the Irish were there. And, um, and so that was such an incredibly uh, tense time in racial kind of... Um, racial dynamics in Australian history that we want to dramatise and it's been one of the most challenging TV shows that I've ever worked on, but we're working on that too. So that's called New Gold Mountain. That will be on SBS either at the end of this year or start of next. Um, and what else? I think I'm working on other stuff. You can listen every week to Stop Everything on Radio National, which I co-host on Beverly Wang, the first time two Asians have been on ABC together. Uh, it's allowed now. Uh, so that's on... Henry Singh said... Once. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's kind of... And are there, I'm sure I'm working on other things. It's just not coming to mind at the moment. Oh, he's and, the busiest man I know. Oh, well, actually, this is part of Asia Topa. And so after this, I'm catching the V-line to Geelong because I'm part of a show called Double Delicious, which will be at Abbotsford Convent after Geelong. We had a sellout run at Sydney Festival and it's five Asian-Australian storytellers, dancers, chefs, me, um, actors... Um, who tell a personal story that's actually performed and it, it revolves around food and at the end you actually get to taste the dish. You, get, you actually get the dish that's served out by professional wait staff. So it's, di it's dinner theatre for 2020. Um, but, you know, Michelle and I were talking about it, um, someone we both know called Heather Jeong, who's a Korean chef and... She tells this gorgeous, incredible story about her family history that involves both the Korean and the Vietnam Wars um, and how all of it, all of that story can be told through one dish called um, budechike, which is Korean army stew. And you hear all about it and after you hear this incredibly moving story, you get to have the dish. So you've got all these people like crying into their budechike, <laughs> which is really, really lovely and cute. So come see that at Abbotsford Convent, if, you, if you've got the time, yeah. Um, I actually want to ask the both of you the same question, if that's okay. So, like, Michelle and Diana, do you have an idea of what 2020 is beyond Torch the Place? Or what can... Actually, that's really hard for actors to answer, isn't it? Because I imagine, like, you have to be... It's like, I can't tell you that I'm already signed up to this or this information's embargoed or... Yeah... Oh, well, the, the one thing I, I, I will, I'm going to um, film on a farm for play school oh. um, straight after we 
we've we've added an extra show for Torch the Place and I'll be flying out at 6am the next morning to yep. get to the farm. Thank you and sorry. Um, no, it's going to be great. Um, and the, like, the other play that I'm definitely doing is a play at Sydney Theatre Company mm. um, called Rules for Living, which is a... Uh, it's the first time... I think it comes from the National and, yeah, it's the first time it will be seen in Australia, so... It'll be exciting. It's fantastic. And you're acting alongside the great Heather... Heather Mitchell. Mitchell. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Thank you for That's coming. That's going to be very special. <laughs> um, what about you, Diana? Um, what's on the horizon? I always have some few projects in China, but now probably going to wait until this coronavirus. Yeah. And I miss the Kabul... American TV show because this play. Oh, what? Diana. <laughs> anyway, everything for good reason. Doesn't matter. Diana Another one, good one would go to the Golden Globes because she had to come to Saturday <gasps> rehearsals. Oh my gosh, place. I only just connected Imagine. those dots. Yes, and we were like, would you rather be here with us, Diana? Diana. I wouldn't feel that bad, but then, then they're teasing me every day. Oh, you shouldn't be here. If I me, I would you be really there already. You are a real family. <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> With all the harassment all included. I'm very happy with this show. I'm very, I mean, as, I don't know, um, in, in, like, we always say, none of um, real artists doesn't love to work in the theatre. So the real, real, being real, um, something you, uh, like, actor, as TV and as movie, everyone can do it. But theatre is something really to show if you have ability to be able to be a great actress. So, and the, all the process you really enjoy, really love it. So, Well, we have matters. two great actors in Torch the Place, I can confirm. Well, we've got five. We've got two here. <laughs> we've got two, two here. here. The rest <laughs> are great. The rest are great. But um, we're very, very grateful for both your time and your performances. Um, Torch the Place is playing until, well, it's through March... The 23rd of March, we, as of 48 hours ago, have put one extra performance up there. So see Michelle Lim Davidson fly, before she flies out at 6am for the <laughs> proper closing night performance. So there are still good seats for that and I think there are some limited seats throughout the season for all the other shows, but they're, they're very limited. So if you want good seats, there's still that one extra performance that you can still book into. Um, go see events at Asia Topa and thank you so much for coming out to this one. Thank you, Ben. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you, Thank you, Diana, everyone. Thank you, Michelle. Thank you for coming. Thank you. You are listening to an M Pavilion podcast, conversations about design and the world we live in. For more, visit our archive at library.mpavilion.org and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts.